Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tavage, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. Today's episode talks about the best recent cars, how to become a mechanic, and catalytic converters. Hey everybody, here's another episode from uh, from the Glove Box with uh, Mike and Tony Tadich, uh, shop owners for, our family's had shops in uh, Northern Indiana for 38 years. Um, kind of surprising because I didn't even think I was that old, but... Uh, I'm not that old. Oh, I know you're not, so <laughs> that's why uh, the name of our shop, TMT, uh, everybody thinks Tony's involved in that. It's like, crap, he wasn't even around when we... When we Form, form that name. So that's four years, BT. Yeah, that's right. So, but you know, I'm always a visionary, Tony. I'm always out yeah, there figuring, yeah. figuring stuff out. So yeah, that's how we come out true. with that. So, you know, we were talking about subjects and we want to talk to you about uh, on this podcast. And I'm going to talk to you about modern cars that are very reliable and not very reliable. So if you're going out and uh, right now, um, it's kind of hard to find a good uh, used car, and definitely new cars are pretty scarce right now with things going on and stuff. But uh, not to date us with this broadcast, but there's uh, you know things going on with that uh, as, as we uh, as we record this. So um, I pulled up uh, ten least reliable cars if you were to buy one new. Any ideas, uh, Tony? That would be a fir- any anyone that you think's in the top ten? <laughs> Kia <laughs> should be number one. <laughs> Surprisingly, it's not. So, but uh, that's an outdated <laughs> list. Then, <laughs> okay. Well, again, we're not here to bash anybody's one brand, but we're just here to. Uh, um, I just, share. I just took the optimal uh, route of that car. So. I know. So, um, we'll talk about the, what is reliable and what we think of that. But uh, you know, there's some uh, cars that could show up on this list that it's were not Hyundai. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> we're trying to get through this very we're trying to be very respectful to all all forms and all makes and models I'm being of vehicles. respectful, but neither one of their engines are very respectful. Okay. So here's a few that made the uh uh top ten of least re- reliable. Subaru uh Ascent, a Chrysler I don't Pacifica. Even think they make that anymore. <laughs> it says a twenty twenty two. So uh Pacifica te- was so bad they took it away and it was so good they brought it back. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll stay that. Tesla Model Y, which is the little one, I think. Uh, Volkswagen Tiguan, Volvo XC90, which is uh, still one of the safest cars. 2022 Corvette. Uh, we have a friend that has one of these that uh, <laughs> blew up the training with 400 miles on it. Yeah, that stuff happens. Uh, Chevy Silverado, Tony, something you wanted, made the list of that. Ford Mustang, Ford Explorer. Mercedes-Benz, GLE, um, those are all uh, um, sums that show up. But, you know, I think about this. I mean, you have uh, you have groups out there called Consumer Reports. They can give you good, you know, good products. But I think Tony and I would share with you this. Ask your local service uh, garage, your independent service center that's in your part of the country. They're going to see the cars that come through their shops. Maybe look at what most of them drive. Um, I know we have 16, 17 cars in our loaner car fleet. 
Um, you know, look what we're buying. You know, if we're buying, uh, <laughs> we have a Pacifica in there. <laughs> <laughs> we do <laughs> because it hauls a lot of people and it's somewhat cheap, but, uh, that, that is true. You didn't have to call that out in public, but, uh, but, uh, we do also have a lot of Hondas, Toyotas, uh, those type of things also. So, um, so I would just, uh, you know, ask it, but ask your local service professional. I'm, we're big fans of, you know, having that local uh, service center that uh, she or he knows, uh, you know, what's going on. And we see the cars. Everybody says, well, I want to refer to manufacturers' uh, recommendations, this and that. But, you know, independent shops like uh, Tony and I own and a lot, whole lot of our friends own nationwide, they're really the pulse of what's going on because they see the broken cars come into their uh, shop. They see uh, our... Uh, our guy that controls the the board here in our podcast, Brody, and sees him. What did he bring into our shop that needed a transmission? Oh, that was a Nissan, but he drives a Mitsubishi. Okay, so, so. we <laughs> got to help Brody. Brody's <laughs> lost. We, we got we got to step him up a little bit. He, you know, he's doing all the behind the scenes for us and stuff, and yet we've uh, we've failed him, Tony. We have. We have we've not given Brody. him good guidance and let him know and stuff. Yet his dad drives a Toyota Tundra. Well, that was our doing too, because <laughs> let's face it, he had a Ford F one fifty before that. So oh, okay, stop it. We're not here. That to... should be on that list. Number one engine sold by Jasper. <laughs> We're not here to bash Brandstone. We're talking about that. Um, That's why Mike's not letting me talk all that much because he knows I'll bash them all. <laughs> well, but we have to be respectful to all all races of automobiles. Okay, so let's let's please let's stick with that. So, um, I was going to pull up on here. Uh, any anything on the worst cars? Anything? You're, you're in the shops a lot more than I am. So what uh, you know? What would you share with the public on? you know, what to watch for. I tease about the Kia Hyundai engine thing, which I tease, but there is some truth to it. However, it goes back to maintenance. So the fact that most people are going 5, 10, 15,000 miles on oil changes is not doing anything, any positivity in any of these engines. That, that's a really good point, Tony, because uh, I use an old, old, old saying, but uh, fluid is cheaper than parts. Yep. So change fluids a little more often than what manufacturers recommend um, to make a vehicle last longer. And a 100,000-mile warranty is not something to be proud of. It's something to be worried about. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point too. Um, but uh, I think Tony hit on a really good point: is changing fluids a lot more often. So I'll give you an example. We have a lot of vehicles that have in our loaner car fleet that have ten thousand mile oil interval changes. When do we change the oil in that, Tony? Every five. We change them at five. We change them twice as quick as what a manufacturer recommends because we know it's going to last longer. These are cars that we expect to have in our loaner car for how many miles? That depends. I mean, you know, we're kind of in the, the middle area with most of our cars right now. Most of them I would expect to have to 100, 150,000 miles. Um, but seriously, if you take one of our Honda uh, HRVs, if you serviced it correctly, how how long could I, how you, long could we drive that car? You should be able to drive that car to three to four hundred thousand miles. Exactly, with good maintenance, changing fluids, uh, following you know your independent dealer's recommendations even more so than manufacturers yep. and stuff. Because your independent shops around your country are going to really understand 
what it takes to make that vehicle last. They're going to see that, oh, this particular model has a, uh, a bigger failure in transmissions than that model. Maybe we ought to change the fluid a little more often. Um, those, are, those are things we want to talk to. But let's look at uh, what's our best vehicles. If you would pick uh, four or five uh, SUVs, what would you what do you think uh, the top three or four good quality SUVs would be? Toyota Rav Four. Toyota Rav Four is a great product. Um, you know, Honda CRV. Yeah, Honda CRV is good. Um, you know, what about our Ford Chevys and stuff? Uh, what do you what do you think about some of those? Uh, full size only. <laughs> <laughs> i.e. suburban tahoe <laughs> yeah but see here's where tony's biased now because he's got like a you know he's got a six-pack of family to haul around so you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's no bias there the rest of the stuff's made by azuzu <laughs> okay uh best cars right now i'm gonna try a different search uh yeah this one sucks too so uh <laughs> Best cars for long commutes. How about that? All right. Uh, Toyota Camry made that list. Probably a pretty solid car right now. Nissan Altima. Jetta. No. Jetta. <laughs> Prius. Jetta, Jet, you know, Jetta catches a lot of grief, but we have a Jetta in our loaner fleet, and that car has been solid. So, you know, the standard base model Jettas are good cars, and, and it's a good, cheap, reliable car. It is. It may um, not pass EPA. <laughs> oh, stop it. Let's don't get into that either. So. It's a good, cheap, reliable car. Okay. I'm going to, you're going to give me a thumbs up and thumbs down going through here. So they can't see my thumb. Well, you're going to have to just say your thumbs up or thumbs down. Ford Escape. No. No. That's okay. The, the thing is called thumbs down. Thumbs down. Honda Civic. Yes. Thumbs, thumbs up. up. Uh, Mini Cooper Countryman. Down. <laughs> Mazda 6. Down. Well, medium, maybe. Kind of flat high. It's a Ford. Mazda CX-5. Down. GMC Terrain. Down. <laughs> Honda HRV. Up. Uh, Subaru Crosstech. Trek. Up. Volkswagen Golf Sportwagon. Mm, medium. Subaru Outback. Up. Nissan Rogue. Medium. Subaru Forester. Down. Toyota RAV4. Up. Sub, uh, Subaru Imprezia. Uh, depends on what version. Probably medium. Okay. Uh, Honda Accord. Up. Jeep Compass. Down. <laughs> if you want to be my new best friend, go buy a Terrain or a Compass. <laughs> you'll be in a you'll be in a shop all the time. So here we'll we'll kind of start to wrap this one up a little bit. So we're automotive shop owners, but we're also out here to tell you good solid vehicles that are going to last you a long time. We're not out here to say go buy all these uh, crappy vehicles so you can come into our shop. So um, we do like people uh, that you know know how to maintain a vehicle well, make it last well, and we want to see you get. If you want to drive it and get two, three hundred, four hundred thousand miles it out of is it, as a service advisor, if you're coming in to see me, I would much rather advise you on maintenance and tires and brakes and fluid flushes and things along those lines. Maybe some suspension, struts, shocks, stuff like that. I would rather advise you on that than advise you on replacing piston rings or replacing timing chains or replacing engines or transmissions or so on and so forth. 
believe it or not, your local automotive shop does not like to tell you that you need five or $6,000 worth of work. They would much rather tell you that you need maintenance and we'd rather keep this vehicle going in this manner. That's a really good point, Tony. I think uh, most generally, all all the people out here that are listening to our podcast, all 10 of you, um, we uh, want you to be able to go to your uh, local trusted automotive service center and find reliable information that helps you make these vehicles last. But we are big people on our side, or the way we view it is, is good preventative maintenance. We're going to help you you know, make sure that you can do some basic services. And even if you buy one of these vehicles, maybe Tony gave a thumbs down or a, a flat hand to, um, you can still maintain it a little better and it'll still last a long time. I think the, the big piece is, is, is proper maintenance. It's no different than a human body. If we exercise, if we eat right, if we, you know, do all the things and get proper sleep, we're going to last longer as a human. And I think the automobile is the same way. So that's our little bit on this segment on, uh, from the glove box from Mike and Tony Tadich. Hey guys, I want to become a mechanic. What training or education do I need? Here's a young person, um, and they do say person. It's not guy anymore to to want to be a mechanic, but uh, young person calling in that says, "Hey, I want to be a mechanic. Uh, what's it? What's it take? Uh, you know, what what can I do to you know get into this field?" And I think I'll let Tony really explain the details of what we're looking for and what we would want, and in some of our uh, apprenticeship programs we have. But here's a key ingredient, I think, for a lot of years, um, high schools, and again, most of our high schools do a wonderful job and stuff, but they've pushed college, 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 college. So part of my uh, plea for everybody out there that has kids and stuff is don't forget about the trades because there is absolutely nothing wrong with being a bricklayer or bring a being a construction person or being an electrician and obviously being an automotive technician. Um, but I'll tell you also, you know, on the automotive technician side, when I was young, everybody that was really good in school went to these accelerated classes and the guys that weren't so smart or girls weren't, then they went to be an automotive technician. And I can tell you, if you got young people out here listening, we want A and B students also. The complexity of the modern automobile and all the computers and all the navigation and all the lane departure and all the stuff we have, we need very smart people also. So regardless of what career you're going into, it's really important. But uh, Tony, if a young uh, young lady, young guy wants to come in to uh, to be an automotive technician with no experience, and I think we, honestly, you just recently hired somebody mm-hmm. and stuff. But uh, tell us, uh, tell us what you'd be looking for in our shops. Well, first of all, if you're in that position, you have two choices. Number one, obviously, choice would be to go to a technical or vocational school, um, which is going to teach you some of the basics of mechanics. Usually those programs are anywhere from 18 to 24 month programs. Um, and they, they, there's some really, really good schools out there. There's, there's University of Northern Ohio, or otherwise known as UNO. There's Lincoln Tech. There's Ivy Tech. There's, those are all ones around us. There's other local uh, schools, I'm sure, around you, whatever part of the country or world that you're from. Um, but the alternative to that is to find a, an automotive shop or an automotive group that has an apprenticeship program. 
Um, my belief is at this point in time that for a lot of people, that might be the way to go because that gets you hands-on training and experience. The thing that I like about the apprentice program as an employer is I get to start with you and teach you our way of doing things. So a lot of times when I'm recruiting or talking to a potential hire, I talk to them about, you already know how to service advise. You already know how to work on a car. You already know how to do this. But I have my playbook of how we operate and how we do things, and I need you to learn my playbook. With an apprentice program, I get to teach my playbook out of the box. Um, so I think that makes that a lot better. So for instance, what we do is we require at least 40 hours of continuing education every single year for every single person that is in our company. Um, in our apprenticeship program, it is a two-year program um, that'll put you through about 100 hours in each year. Um, then it also requires you, like for instance, I have one person in the program right now in our, our uh, uh, northern store, um, and they were required to do 10 fluid flushes to be able to complete uh, a section of the apprenticeship program. So they had a document every single time they did a fluid flush, and then they had a uh, report to the senior technician on staff that's overseeing the apprentice program that, that allowed them to, to really learn hands-on uh, the procedures of fluid flushes. Um, we did just hire a, a young gentleman. Uh, uh, went to school, was finishing his education in a four-year degree, and uh, learned that he really liked the automotive side of things and decided that instead of going to, to become what his degree is in, that he wanted to become an automotive technician. And, um, you know, at that point in time, he didn't want to go to school again for another two years on top of the four years he already went. Um, most people call that being a doctor um, at that point in time. But uh, uh, he chose to start seeking out somebody that had an apprenticeship program. Obviously, we have that. So um, he started and he's learning the ropes and going to be going through all of that and completing that at this point in time. Yeah, no, those are great, great points, Tony. And I think uh, I don't think most any uh, independent shop owner out there uh, would work with a young person um, and allow them to grow and, and be a technician. And, and I want to be clear with this. You know, our business is long overdue to be not just a male-dominated business. So we had a lot of great female technicians. Um, we have... Uh, you know, great amount of female service advisors, a program that I'm involved in with service advisors and people that talk to customers about uh, service and stuff nationwide. We probably have 40% females in that. So this is not a male-dominated business uh, uh, by any means only and stuff. But I think uh, Tony's right. I think a lot of us shop owners understand that uh, instead of going and hiring somebody that's a seasoned veteran, uh, we use a term we call we need to grow our own. Um, so we need to help uh, bring a young person through our program. Um, and that's been a little tough. A lot of times in unions and in, uh, you know, carpentry and uh, electricians and even in our mechanical business, we, uh, we call them uh, older people eat their own. <laughs> we, don't, uh, we don't allow a young person to grow and expand. So, Well, but, and here's the thing, too. I mean, we need to drop the average age of the technician. I don't know what the other trades are, but I read an article a while back, and I don't remember the exact year, but it was over 50 years old is the average age of the person that's working on your car. And quite honestly, for the physical demands that's required to be able to work in that type of an environment, over 50 is an old age. So, 
no offense to you, anybody out there that's over Ouch. 50. Ouch. <laughs> but to, to be bending over, standing on concrete all day long and doing that type of work, that, that is an older, older statesman at that point in time. While the mind's still good, the body's starting to break down. We need these guys that are 21, 22 to 30 years old that want to get into this industry and girls um, to where we can really teach them ropes and get them up to speed. The other thing, too, with this industry is it's becoming so electrical that we're almost going to need electrical engineers at some point in time here. I was just reading a, a article about a, a gentleman that's opened an electric-only shop in California for electric cars, only works on electric vehicles, and it's basically an electrical engineer position that he has. These guys are working in, you know, almost in white gloves, white suit type of thing. And, and it's all through programming and everything else on the car versus the hard part side of the car. Um, electrical, electric cars, just so everybody knows, do still have fluids and have a whole bunch of other stuff um, that still requires some, some grease and things along those lines. But you need somebody that truly understands the electrical aspect of the vehicle at that point in time. Now, it's a great point and stuff. So I think if we would summarize this up, um, you know, the shops are clean. They're modern. Um, a lot of them are climate controlled year round. So you've got good, you know, good um, areas with that. But we're not known as grease monkeys and we don't have red rags hanging out of the back no, of our pockets that, anymore. That, that, that is very true. But the real point, too, is... Um, if you do you want to be in a business that's recession proof and i'm not saying 100% but probably 95% people still whether the economy's good bad or what other uh, gas prices go up down whatever people still need car repairs um, so it's a very solid business it's not the most glamorous to go to your you know party or uh, Big, big fun thing on this weekend, but uh, it is a great way uh, to provide a, a great service. And it, we, we need great automotive service centers nationwide to take care of the American public. We love driving automobiles, but it's a really great career. And it's a career that you can, you know, have 20, 30, 40 years in and make really, really good money. Probably probably top 10% money um, as you grow through this uh, in the country on, av on average jobs and stuff. So really consider a career, um, get a hold of your local automotive service center, uh, see what time of, uh, see what type of uh, um, apprentice program that they have. We have a lot of great companies that work with us um, that we can uh, really get you uh, teed in. And if you can't find that, you know, get out and contact, uh, you know, our podcast from the glove box with Mike and Tony T and uh, we'll uh, point you in the right direction in your area. But we'd love to have more people join our industry and make it better. So that's a little segment on uh, uh, somebody wanting to get into our industry. Driving the discussion today is brought to you by Auburn Gear. With Auburn Gear, you enjoy the top-of-the-line American-made diffs. Our extensive lineup includes specialty models for your specific needs, from everyday driving to performance racing, hauling loads on the highway, or conquering the toughest trains. Auburn Gear has satisfied power enthusiasts for over 50 years. Visit AuburnGear.com for more. Hey, we're back with you, Mike and Tony Tadich uh, from the Glove Box with our uh, with our podcast. We pop up. How you doing today, Tony? Don't say good. Okay, if I was any better. 
I'd be, I'd be a catalytic converter. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> here we go. So now he, he just uh, he just dropped the name of our our segment here. So your car, every car has an exhaust system and has a thing uh, or thing or things called catalytic converters. Um, we get we get it confused because we think it's catalytic converters and or it's a cat or it's a cat you know there's all sorts of nickname terminology but tony i mean in a in a brief just layman terms we don't need to get to the technical side what does a catalytic converter do for an average automobile your catalytic converter uses catalysts to clean dangerous gases like carbon monoxide nitrous oxides and more and converts them into safer fumes this keeps our environment and air cleaner yeah, isn't it amazing how smart we can be with the little uh, advent of a thing called Google? Hey, direct from our website, <laughs> tmtautomotive.com. Okay, well there you go. Good, good drop with that. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's basically a filtering system. It's a way to get all the harmful things that are eating away at ozone layers. It makes us cough. That uh, has the uh, pollution. You don't and, cough. No, not, not at all. But the pollution of Los Angeles, you know, all the th different things you think of, um, it's, it's to minimize that. So those are uh, ways that they're, they're filtering systems, basically, for vehicles. Um, so as well as the exhaust systems, you have, you know, ex uh, exhaust pipes, you got mufflers, all this thing to just quiet down the engine. Flex and stuff. pipes. Flex pipes, all these different things that go on with that. So we went through quite a bit of phase in, in the old days where those things rusted out and we were replacing exhaust quite a bit. Used to have a lot of shops that did specialize in exhaust systems. Now you really don't because there's just, there's not as big a failure with those. Um but what's some of the things that makes a modern catalytic converter system and exhaust system fail prematurely, Tony? So usually it's due to lack of maintenance. I feel like we always talk about maintenance, but usually it's due to lack of tune-ups, lack of fuel system cleaning, carbon buildup in the engine, um, in, in multiple different running issues. So the one thing with the modern car versus the old vehicles is the modern car with a computer um, basically compensates for poor running and everything else where you don't feel that as much. Um, in the olden days, a tune-up got its name from, as you've told me numerous times, uh, they actually used a piano tuner to be able to listen to the engine to be able to get it to the right, right sound uh, to be able to tune the car. Today's vehicles with computer and fuel injection and everything else, um, the, the computer will compensate if the car is starting to run poorly. And while that is good and you don't feel that as much, that means it could be putting too much fuel uh, washing through, going into the exhaust, could be putting uh, carbon deposits through the exhaust and other things that could be causing that catalytic converter to clog up and you know, have harmful type of emissions go through it and everything else. So, and I think Tony hit on a good point with that, 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 uh, catalytic converter in your car is basically like a honeycomb. It's like a beehive and it's this mesh of stuff going into. So, and it's made to have pure exhaust go through there. So if your car isn't running quite as good and more gas gets into it, gas that doesn't get burnt into the engine, it cuts the life of this catalytic converter. I mean, I mean, son, when you think about catalytic converters, I mean, what what's the most expensive one you think you've replaced in the last few years in our shops? BMW. 
And how much money? Uh, fourteen grand. Fourteen thousand dollars on a vehicle for this uh, for this thing, um, and it's it's based on how the engine runs. So so, I want you to think of this too. Um, when Tony talks about the modern vehicle compensating and stuff, you don't feel your car running crappy. So you go into your local shop and you say, uh, they say, well, you really need a tune-up. And you say, why do I need a tune-up? The car's running great and stuff. And it's that, it's that falsifying uh, feeling because the modern computer can make adjustments for worn-out spark plugs, for worn-out other you know, engine components, oxygen sensors, fuel, dirty fuel injection system. The fuel injection system in most cars needs cleaned how often? Every 15,000 miles. Yeah, once a year or 15,000 miles. It's a must. It's like going to the dentist twice a year. Everybody knows that you go to the dentist twice a year to have a teeth cleaning, right? Yep. You, you go twice a year? Yep. Why? Because it cleans the plaque off my teeth. But does the dentist ever ask? Some people come into our shops and they say, well, I don't need that fuel injection cleaning or tune-up because I haven't driven a lot. But I'll ask you a question, Tony. Does the dentist ever say, hey, Tony, how much food have you eaten in the last six months? God, I hope not. <laughs> That'd be a long list. Yeah. yeah. You don't know us maybe out there, but Tony's a big boy. So he's, uh, let's say... About six four two seventy five. Okay, yeah. So, so he's a good guy. A lot of fuel, but the dentist doesn't ask how much. You just get this annual clean, semi annual cleaning based on that. Same but way the carbon car. buildup and the deposits that happen inside your engine is just like plaque on your teeth. Yeah. So you may not be able to see it. It may not show up, but it's there. You could drive two thousand miles and barely start and stop your car, and which is really worse on a car than driving a lot of miles because your car never warms up. So if you drive. If you have a commute to work that's a mile, two miles, three miles, that's harder on your car than somebody that drives 50 miles to work every day. Yep. Um, it really is. So um, so a lot of these affect the exhaust system. I know we started out with exhaust and catalytic converters and stuff, but if you really want to make this system that's really, really expensive last a lot longer, we want to make sure the front side of it, which is the engine and all the things that control it. We want to make that last longer. Um, so make sure to, um, a lot of people get confused too with manufacturers recommendations. And Tony and I talk a lot in our shops and with our people, it's really the shop's recommendations because we see these cars. A manufacturer will make a recommendation for a 2012 car in maybe 2011, but here it is 10 years later and things change, things adjust, things need compensated. So you go to your owner's manual, if you still have one in a glove box, and it says service of spark plugs at 75,000 miles. Well, that was made a year before the car was even made. Um, and then we realize, oh, crap, uh, they need service a lot sooner or maybe not as soon. So, Or check. maybe I'm advising you based on your driving habits and how you're utilizing the vehicle <laughs> versus the manufacturer is, is giving you a blanket statement for how everybody is driving the car and using the car. So maybe I'm trying to, as a service advisor, make it fit your needs 
easier and better for how you're going to utilize the vehicle and how long you've told me you want to keep the car. Great, great points. How do you drive? How long do you want to keep a car? All those things come into play. That's where your local service center is going to give you some great feedback on how to do that. So that's a little bit about the exhaust system, the catalytic converter system. Um, it's really no, uh, catalytic converter is really no different than your furnace filter um, at, at your house. If, your if you never have dirty air in your house, you probably never need to change the filter. Um, but if you have a lot of dirt and a lot of things One going on. One other thing on catalytic converters, and I don't want to back the bus over parts stores, but parts stores that read your codes and your check engine light, the number one code that I see that a parts store says, oh, you can just drive it with is a PO420 for your catalyst system. And, and parts stores will just tell you left and right, you can just drive it with that light on, it'll be fine. And it's not fine. That's that's where I see people get into trouble, and then next you know they're having to replace everything, and they're having to replace oxygen sensors and multiple other components. So if you go get your codes read and you see that you have a PO420, it is time to have a proper test done of your oxygen sensors, of your catalytic converter flow, and everything to be able to then figure out if we need catalytic converters, do we have another issue, do we have outside air being introduced in front of the cat, what exactly is going on there, and what can we do to be able to remedy the situation? I think the simple thing Tony said, which is right, go to your local seasoned professional that isn't just selling parts over the counter, but is there to actually service your car correctly. Get it, get, uh, we, use a, we use a saying, Tony, test, don't, don't guess. guess. Yeah, we so. use another saying. Uh, code is a starting point, not a fixing point. That's a great point, too. So anyhow, that's a little bit about exhaust systems, catalytic converters, um, very expensive system on your car, and with proper maintenance and proper guidance by your local shop, uh, we can make that last a lot longer. So that's a little bit from uh, Mike and Tony Tadich, uh, independent shop owners uh, from northern Indiana and from the glove box. Hey, this is uh, father and son team, Mike and Tony Tadich. Uh, just want to thank you for hanging out with us again today. So you got anything to wrap up, Tony? It's uh, uh, shutting the glove box time. So we'll see you next time on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Make sure you're here for our next one. Have a question for Mike and Tony? Call it in at 888-201-0858. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.